0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Professor of Organic Chemistry, Dr. Dave Collum, who teaches at Cornell. Dr. Collum is well-known outside of his profession for his thoughts on everything from the economy and investing to politics and the meaning of life. He produces a very popular annual year in review and is featured on many media outlets. Dr. Collum, how is 2021 and the new abnormal treating you?
1: Uh, As to be expected, I guess, is a good answer. (laughs) It's, 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 It's still rough still rough
0: all right yeah same here for me uh i wanted to get your big picture view of what's going on in the economy politics uh, and the culture as well Uh, i feel we're witnessing a collapse of not just the economy but a breakdown in society and culture and the disintegration of democracy and our political systems and since you speak uh a lot about the economy i guess we could start there Uh, i think you've been bearish on the economy since like forever and with good reason, because everything seems to be manipulated. The Fed, Wall Street, precious metals, and so on. Uh, everything seems to be in a bubble. Uh, money printing has gone full Zimbabwe. I've got my Zimbabwe note here, um, and I'm, I'm wondering if someday the U.S. dollar will will get to you know will get a million dollar. U.S. note or even perhaps a trillion dollar uh, U.S. note. But uh, John Rubino from Dollar Collapse, who's been a frequent guest on this podcast, recently posted a great article saying that we're in the middle of a worldwide sovereign debt bubble collapse that no one alive today has witnessed and that hasn't happened in a century. So kind of, you know, where are we? We're in the eye of the storm. You know, what's going on with the economy today?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with John 100% on the middle part. I think we're at the very front edge of, of it. Um maybe even you know the pregame warm up where we're, you know, taking a knee on the uh, national anthem or something. Um yeah, I, I think the economy's been been pretty lousy for for many years now and uh and and people it's too easy to first of all Watch TV and have someone tell you it's okay, and then say, "Well, it must be okay when it's not." Um, it's too easy to look at the stock market and say, "Well, the stock's are all going up, so we must be creating all sorts of wealth," and that turns out not to be true. Uh, over the last decade, where the GDP grew uh, optimistically thirty percent, um, the equity markets went up something like three hundred percent, and and they over the long term track each other because because you know, the stock market is supposed to reflect growth in the GDP, right? It's, it, those are the 500 biggest companies, the S&P. Um, ought to follow it. And, and it simply is not. So the financialization of the system has caused the price of everything to get distorted, all the way from used cars to lumber to you name it. Um, everything's a speculative play toy now, um, Bitcoin, gold, whatever you want. They're, they're all at the mercy of money flows, not supply demand.
0: Yeah. Just since, since I brought up the Fed, I have I have here my uh, and the Fed um, coffee cup. I, and you were, I think, uh, this week on George Gammon's podcast, who's who's great. And I think he's he's trying to sue the Fed. You think anything's going to happen there?
1: No, that's no. a safe statement. I'll bet any amount of money. You want to speculate? We can start today. I'll bet. No. Um, uh, uh, my conversation with George was fun. George has this uh, interesting ability to keep things super simple and, and such that then when you get to the end, you know, you go, wow, you know, how could that not be true the way he just told us? And so he, he just, I just watched a podcast of his the other day where he, uh, he explained why stimulus money um, inhibits the economy. And it wasn't just by baiting us not to work, but a, a much more deep-seated problem. I thought he did a very good job. So George is a good uh, educator about basic free market principles. And and we're in trouble.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess the, speaking of trouble, i want to get your thought, you know, on the fallout of kind of what, what's coming. We're seeing the middle class being wiped out uh, globally. Um, I, I think this is intentional because we see collusion between big tech, big money, big pharma, big government. They're shutting down mom and pop. Well, big box stores are, you know, we've got so many new, you know, billionaires, uh, all that money has gone to the top. Uh, I, I was living in Kazakhstan for a while. And over there, they, they've been saying, you know, if another lockdown comes, the Kazakh middle class is permanently wiped out. I'm now uh, currently here in Mexico and ev- all around the place. I'm seeing star fronts with for rent signs all over, the you know, everywhere. Uh, 53% of Canadians are $200 away from not being able to pay bills. I was I had a recent interview with Mark Faber. The, the renowned investor who said, you know, a number of his friends in Switzerland lost their high paying jobs and he doesn't think they're ever going to uh, get those jobs again or perhaps never even find uh, employment at their age. So it's I have a feeling 2022 is going to start looking like 1932. So, you know, how much longer can we keep papering things over? And you, you kind of. You're saying we're at the tail end, you know, when when the things are, are going to start unraveling. Some of, some of my previous guests, like Dmitri Orlov, predicts a Soviet-style collapse in the U.S. Others, like Finnish economist Tuomas Malinen, predict the same, but he thinks we can recover in three to five years. You know, when things start to unravel, what's that going to look like?
1: Um, I, I've through the years figured out that. Um, if you're making predictions that are three standard deviations off the bell curve, you're asking to be wrong. So, so if, if you make one of those, you you better you better have really stared at the problem. Usually, things are not as apocalyptic as you think. I'm reminded of the go- Gulf oil spill when it looked like we'd open the gates of hell and and we would just pollute the oceans from from oil spews and and. And then they plugged it and you look up and within a year or so, the Gulf seemed to be doing okay and they were shrimping again. And so you got to remind yourself that that everything passes, World War II passed, the Great Depression passed. And so, so total doomsday scenarios are generally wrong, just statistically. Um, with that said, I think uh, moderate doomsday scenarios look pretty probable to me. I think that looks like the center of my bell curve. So, um, so I agree with that. Um, when and how it plays out, the, the one thing that makes it so confounding now is at one point in time, you could formulate a reasonably well-founded opinion that you could anticipate central bank response. And so, if you saw a recession coming, you'd say, "Here's what'll happen: we'll go into a recession. The Feds will cut rates. You know, things like that. We'll pull out of the recession." There's Almost never any evidence that the Fed cutting rates pulled us out of the recession. That, that, that did. So if every time you go in a recession, they cut rates that, and you, every time you pull out, I mean, that's like my dog. Um, you know, my dog waiting for me to come home at night. And every time the dog sits at the door, I, I come home and the dog thinks it's causality and the dog doesn't realize that. No, I just come home. So, uh, recoveries just occur. And the Fed can pretend like you know their 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 they're, their rate cuts did it, but they'd occur anyways. And some argue much much faster. So, uh, so the problem we have now is that it's clear that the Fed has convinced itself and convinced a lot of people that there's no cap to what you can do to intervene. And so uh, interventions in the past were basically just rates, and then when they they bailed out Bear Stearns for 30 billion bucks. It kind of sucked the auction out of the room. And you go, oh, my God, I can't believe they just pumped 30 billion into the system for Bear Stearns. And, and, and what no one saw coming, no one, no one in the, the known universe of mine saw coming within a decimal point, maybe two decimal points, um, central banks putting 20 trillion into the system. And now we've done that. We've done it again and nothing has blown up. And so I think the feds now are unmoored. I think they, I think they have this view that there is no limit to what they can do. There are no, there are no natural barriers to what they can do. And as a consequence, we're now at great risk, because they suffer from their own moral hazard, they think they're omnipotent.
0: And speaking about all this, you know, money printing, Looking at at the effects uh, of that, I'm seeing reported around the world uh, in many countries, you know, for example, in Nigeria, uh, food inflation hit its highest in 15 years. Now it's 22 percent. I mean, inflation, uh, it's just it's it's pretty high everywhere. You know, I'm noticing prices rise. And I guess that's one effect uh, of what they're doing. You know, what are your thoughts on inflation and other such uh, outcomes?
1: Inflation never helps the little guy. It's a guarantee. And 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 the the notion that a little bit of inflation um, stimulates the economy is a Fed concocted lie. You can actually George made a good case that the other day where where you you can show how stupid that is. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's one. I I asked Twitter one day and got quite a few people chiming in from the, the higher levels of financial Twitter. And I said, give me some evidence that that inflation promotes the economy. And the answers were all stupid. They're all things like, well, you know, if you know something's gonna be cheaper next year, you won't, you won't buy it. And I go, what, what would that be? You won't buy a car, you won't buy a phone, you won't buy food, you won't buy healthcare. What part of that is true? And the answer is there's only one answer, and that the answer is assets. You might not buy assets, and that's the only thing that bothers the hell out of central bankers is that you won't buy assets if you know they're going to be cheaper. Uh, but even then, if you know that the assets will be worth more because because we're in a deflationary situation and they'll retain value, you'd even buy those. And so, uh, so, so that's fiction. There was one argument that someone made out of out of what seemed like hundreds, where they said. Um, there's a difference in response to employment if you, have, if you inflate away the cost of employees where the, the cost of employees, um, if, you, if you hold their income fixed while inflation runs, then they are taking pay cuts and, um, and, 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 and the wages are sticky. If, if we have a deflationary situation, it's hard to pay someone less and less. And so that kind of gets you stuck. It's a stickiness of wages. Whereas if you can inflate away the cost of employment while not give the employees benefits, not giving them pay raises, which look at the stats on, on you know sort of average Joe employment, they're not getting paid well at all. They've lost huge ground. So in that sense, it's working. Um, then <coughs> that in theory could be the alternative where you say when the employees become too expensive, you lay them off. And so it's and you can't give them pay cuts because it doesn't work. And so you lay them off. And so there's a little bit of resonance there for me, but it's not a compelling argument, but it's it's not as crazy as the rest of the garbage that economists put out there.
0: And speaking of inflation, you know, what about hyperinflation? There's this talk, uh continue to talk about the dollar, its reserve status um you know now i think it's now it's 60 percent being used around the world and that's declining and this talk of you know china's petro gold yuan and just in general you know the, the decline uh, of the dollar i think someone said in this last year it's lost 10 percent of its purchasing power you know what in general what's your th- thought on the dollar
1: well um there's like to me first and foremost the notion of inflation and deflation is a little um uh, stupefying in that in that uh, if I were to say describe the weather as a sunny or rainy, that's an inadequate binary choice. I'm forcing you to make, you could say hot or cold. It's still an inadequate choice. The weather requires an enormous amount of descriptors. And so to, to talk about inflation versus deflation is artificially, uh, stiffening up the debate. So let's go with that, but, but let's stay with the, that binary choice. You, you go from deflation to no inflation to mild to, to serious inflation to hyperinflation. For me, the discontinuities between high inflation and hyperinflation, I think hyperinflation occurs when you have what, for want of a better term is you have a failed state. So you can have high inflation, everything can still be working, everything function. I think when you shoot into a hyperinflation, market, I can't remember, something like 40% a year or something, is that the definition? These are arbitrary definitions. Why do I care? Um, when you reach hyperinflation, it means that there's a, a real loss in faith, not just inflation expectations, but a loss of faith in the system. And so I'm not as worried about hyperinflation because I think we're not likely to go there Although geopolitically and socially in this country, I, I could change my mind on that pretty fast, too. But the high inflation, you know, 70 stagflation stuff like that, that, that seems exceedingly probable to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that could I, get very unpleasant.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you, Anne. Uh, shooting over to gold and silver to get your thoughts. Um, you know, people hodl Bitcoin. I, I like to hodl uh, gold and silver. Um And if uh, it seems both are poised to rise in the near future, because, you know, as you mentioned, the geopolitical situation, uh, it seems central banks are buying gold uh, like crazy, uh, especially in the East, Russia and China. And it seems silver is getting ready uh, to rumble. Just uh, what's your take on the precious metals?
1: Well, so I've been a gold silver bug since 99 and for two painful years while gold and silver drifted down, not up from 99 to 2001 and and during part of those two years the nasdaq I everything mean, was roaring so i felt like a complete idiot um because i had bailed from equities and jumped into gold and silver and a lot of cash a lot of stuff like that and then and for about the next 15 i also jumped into energy which looked real good until eventually it made me suffer um uh and then gold seems to be sort of sputtering along, looking like I agree, like it could take off. Um, I'm most intrigued by silver. I did a podcast with the Wall Street silver guys. And these are the guys who not only are silver bugs of a higher order, but but um, they're also the guys who are trying to trigger a, a, a short squeeze. So they're the, they're the hub of that silver squeeze movement. And what I observed um from the outside looking in was that that they tried to trigger a squeeze um almost to the day that the squeeze was said to commence right they were trying to do it like we all rise up and pick up our guns and shoot people or something um silver went down and it sort of just kept sort of getting bombed every day and it just trickled down it wasn't horrible down i gave up six months of gains maybe um I even had the sense that maybe the system, which can use, you know, the futures market to dork with it, that maybe, maybe the the commodities traders at the big bank said, let's let's make sure we show these these loser retail guys uh, that this is a dangerous game they're playing. And so they might have drawn a line in the sand and said, let's not let them get their squeeze. And so they, if they go in the futures market and start selling silver, say, oh, that was a bad idea, never mind. Um I talked to them about it and they said, actually, it's working. It's not showing up in the price, but they, they talked about it. And I knew there was rumors of shortages, short supplies, stuff like that. But um, they said the supplies are suffocatingly short. And so the big silver uh, brokers like Apemex, is that how you pronounce it? I never know how to pronounce Apemex, A-P-M-E-X. Um, he said, there, there's people claiming they haven't gotten their delivery in two months. And so, so they're having trouble sourcing it, the big suppliers. Uh, at some point, the futures market just parts ways from the physical market. And, uh, we talked even about that. And I said, well, the futures market will pay off in cash. That's apparently written into the prospectus is kind of a force majeure, um, clause that says, if we have to, we'll give you cash equivalent, which means therefore, if there's a shortage, they just can't deal with. And they said, yeah, uh, but in other commodity squeezes that have occurred like that, that particular futures market collapsed within the year. And so that's a kind of a, a suicide move to, 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 to default by using cash. I'm getting interested in the idea of going longer silver. I probably have, probably have two annual salaries worth of silver. So, which is quite a bit. But I'm thinking going longer for two reasons. One is because it's it's good precious metal bet, and everything's a bet now. At this point, cash is a bet. Everything's a goddamn bet. Um, and down deep in my brain, and I'm going. And if they can squeeze this thing, and if they can get it going crazy, and if they can do what it did with lumber, and what it did with plywood, and what it did with with uh, I think it was palladium. One of them took off, and um, I'll own it. And then what I would be doing is if I'd be believing that it won't last, I wouldn't believe it as evidence of hyperinflation, but rather evidence that that the silver bugs pulled it off. I'd be selling into it pretty steadily, trying to capture two, three, fourfold gains and and potentially rolling it over to gold, providing gold doesn't track it. Because gold's a bigger market, so if silver takes off, leaving gold behind, I'd I'd have one finger over the sell key, and I'd move it to gold. And in, in the worst case scenario, I get I get cleaned out of my silver position. I still have gold, and so I'm not sitting in cash. Um, and uh, and then presumably someone will pound it back down, and then I'll get back into my silver position. And who knows? That, I'm, that's how I'm thinking about it. I'm actually it would be nice to get up to get a, one of these stupid, maniacal four- or five-fold gains. And that's not why I buy it, but but it's it's that lotto ticket, right?
0: Yeah, speaking of, of shortages, I'm supposed to be speaking soon to a great uh, Mexican economist who's been writing about how here in Mexico – um, the central bank hasn't replenished its its store of gold in over 15 months and that you know none of the commercial banks where you buy gold they're out of gold so they have to get it from the central bank and So gold's
1: thin too then.
0: Yeah, here here in Mexico uh, and he's also talking about silver uh Who is Me-
1: Who is this? Who is? Uh, this?
0: Guillermo barba. Uh, he's often on, okay. on the Me- Okay, no, I know the name. Yeah, and he he uh, also said that sil- I mean Mexico is number one two producer of silver, and so he's talking about there being uh, shortages as well. So yeah, that, that's going on. Just your quick thought on Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, you know, I, I think the technology is cool, but I'm personally kind of wary uh, of it. Smart people like Max Kaiser, Michael Saylor say it's going to the moon. Other which I can see at least in the short term. Uh, others like uh, other smart people like Jim Rogers, who's been on this podcast, uh, and Ray Dalio, warning that. Bitcoin can be outlawed, regulated, or taxed. You know, What's your take on bit, Bitcoin and cryptos?
1: Well, Max is one of the few older, real diehard hodlers. Um, I know at one point, Max had 10,000 Bitcoin at five bucks a piece. That means that if he didn't buy any more, and he's been hooting about cryptos ever since, but if he didn't buy any more, he's worth $500 million. So as I said to Max and Stacey one day in a podcast, I said, you guys are not having trouble paying your mortgage now is my guess. Um, and so uh, I, 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 crypto is past the point of it being just a speculative toy. And it's now at the point where it's going to be some sort of epic showdown. And my bet is that the sovereign states will find a way to deal with it. but. But um, I also think the retail guys don't understand it. I think they're serious, very bullish holders who do understand it. So it's, it's not to say it's only dumb retail guys who are bullish. But I, I think the serious players know that the state is a risk and they know that it could drop like a stone. It could drop 80% and then rally back you know, 2,000%. The retail crowd, uh, the fist pumpers, I call them, Uh, think that that the state can't touch him which i think is preposterous and think that it can't go down even and and that's equally preposterous and so i think that crowd is going to get sobered up fast Uh, they're going to learn about what i what my definition of a correction is my definition of a correction is that you have to check two boxes and and if you look at the equity market we haven't had one in 10 years by this definition but the two boxes you have to check are one is a has to be a significant price adjustment downward, and and so you really have to take the froth off, and uh, and and the second requirement is that is that you have to adjust investors' attitudes, so they have to go through an attitude adjustment. They have to talk to God a few times during it, and uh, and we have not had that since uh, since two thousand eight two thousand nine. Now people say well what about March? I go what did you learn from March? You learned from March if you just hang on within March you'll be good. So you were, learned the wrong lesson. So that's not a correction. That's an anti-correction. That, that that's a that's a moral hazard enhancement move And 2018 same thing. So so the retail investors have been taught no matter what you do don't sell and and it, the market always goes up. Mm-hmm. That that's and and unlike any other bubble in history they don't pretend that the economy is roaring they just assume the fed will never hurt them and evidence to the contrary is out there so i think they're nuts
0: now i don't know if you've been following uh this other aspect uh as closely of these this this idea of a cashless society and central bank digital Mm -hmm. currencies which seems to be like you know the government's version of crypto you know their own crypto where they're saying now Nine out of 10 uh, countries in the world are now looking to implement these uh, central bank digital currencies, getting rid of cash, which I guess could be, it looks like it, it would be an answer to this, you know, whatever kind of crash is coming, the CBDCs would be kind of their answer to this. But then there's this danger of this dystopian Chinese style social credit system. You know, what are your thoughts on this talk of CBDCs and if they can be implemented and any threat that they pose?
1: Well, first of all, I think there's a lot of misnomer here. There are theories out there as to what Bitcoin is. There's some people who think that Bitcoin was actually derived from sovereign states and they're using it as a beta test to 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 get us all acclimated to crypto so that they can go cashless. If you they came out of Davos about uh about 8 years ago, Davos uh disbanded and all the major leaders came back and were spouting off about a cashless society. So it was clear that the the talking point was cashless. And if you read articles about it, they would, of course, do the usual thing about how cash is the the currency of scoundrels and crooks and thieves and pedophiles and this and that. And around five or six paragraphs in any article, they would also say, oh, and by the way, it would make monetary policy easier. What that means is, is um, is that they could drop rates and bank accounts negative and so and if you're in a cashless society there is no escape you own whatever cash you have in the system is going to get eroded by by negative interest rates and so so you should fight a cashless society with 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 tooth and nail you should cashless should be something you'd be willing to arm yourself against this should be this should be tree of liberty fertilization time um rogoff Published articles about it. I challenged him one day and he said, read my book. I read his book. He's a total globalist. He's a total globalist. He thinks that everything should just be done globally and, and that cashless society is good. And he thinks the central bank should have the power to go negative interest rates. I go, you're an idiot. I, I just don't believe that there's anything sane about that unless your goal is to screw up the world or, or dominate the world or some, some variant of that. Um, so I oppose that. Now, any sovereign currency is not going to be a cryptocurrency it might somehow use the blockchain but it's going to be theirs not yours it's not going to be decentralized it's not going to, it's not going to be in the control of joe sixpack it's going to be in the control of the sovereigns and so to call to call various sovereign currencies crypto what you're really getting is this that makes it sound appealing to people who like crypto but it's just digital currency. That's all it is. It's digital currency, maybe using blockchain to track it. But they want to track your ass. They don't want to. They don't want to give you the power of being able to transfer stuff to your buddies without them knowing it, right? They 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 want to control. It. They they probably already know it. So I don't think it's as secret as people think, anyways. So yeah. I'm not a Bitcoin fan at this point.
0: I'm kind of agreeing with your uh, assessment. Uh, I want to get your thoughts then moving to the political and, and geopolitical. You know, some listeners might not be happy with my view, uh, although I'm seeing now people on the left also agree with me that, you know, the Biden administration is beginning to resemble the film uh, Idiocracy. They're working yeah. Act- yeah. <laughs>
1: they're,
0: they're, wor- <laughs> they're working actively to start World War III. Uh, they've opened the borders and flooding America with migrants. Uh, a former podcast guest of mine, Alex Craner a uh, hedge fund manager fellow croatian like myself former soldier he pointed out that migration is a weapon of war to bring down uh, nations the biden admin is you know messing with the supreme court i think uh, in the house or wherever today they just uh, passed uh, washington dc as making it the 51st state they're getting rid of police i mean it's just kind of kind of nuts and so uh, you know how does your organic chemistry brain decipher the political situation
1: well so every administration sort of has their calling You know, as soon as 9-11 occurred, Bush announced that it was a war on terror would define his administration, unfortunately. Uh it was clear when Obama entered office, the economy had to be it, right? Because he entered in the middle of a of a deep recession. Uh and and uh and Trump was to get certain sort of freedoms back and to straighten out relationships with China that were pretty distorted and so I wrote fairly favorable about the Biden administration, not because I thought they're any good because I was stunned if you if you dial yourself back to the Iowa caucuses when Biden was on the far left, which meant he wasn't a player. You don't put the the players out on the on the wings, right? Those guys are off the stage almost. They're behind the curtain almost. And then you had Harris who got her ass kicked by Tulsi Gabbard and quit the next day. She quit the next day. So Harris got the same number of delegates that I got. And, uh, and and Biden was opposed it he was this old man who was supposed to bring adult supervision or something to the debates. Uh, if you had bet, if you'd looked at, a, a, I don't know if they existed, but if there was a pay line in Vegas for a Biden-Harris administration, it would have been a 1,000 to 1. There, there was no chance those two would end up in the White House. And here we are. So we got the two biggest losers. We got the two biggest losers from the Iowa caucus and uh how that happened so in any event so last year i wrote about the fact that you know every administration looks horrible to the opponents and if you look back it's never as bad as the opponents think and it seems to go forward and so i wrote fairly favorably about how i thought that biden would be the same um i am less forgiving now because i think what biden's administration was called upon to do was to kind of bring stability and unity back and so uh the U.S. right now is kind of like a country is analogous to like a married couple that's that's in marriage counseling. And every time one of them says something, the other one takes it personally and gets edgy and no comment can be made. that doesn't get personal. And you just you're in this vicious loop. And uh, and that's kind of where the country is. We're in this vicious loop where the Democrats, or Republicans, just everything each party does. The other party hates and you're neighbor against neighbor. And I thought Biden administration was being called upon to bring us back to earth a little bit on this. And their first, what is it, six months? I don't know, five, four months? First four months of their administration, it looks like they're attempting to do the most draconian political moves imaginable. The, the metaphor I like is they put their neck on the, they put their knee on the neck of the Republican Party and it looks like they're trying to suffocate them. Right to use a timely metaphor, um, they're pushing every imaginable thermonuclear button politically, and I I'm just staggered by that. I just thought they'd say, "Hey, let's let's see if we can work together and get this this ship back pointed in the right direction." There's there's no evidence to me of all and the, you know his his uh, the idiocracy part his um, his inner circle loosely defined big inner circle the people he appoints. They look like they're driven totally by the, the far left. So they, he looks like he's checking various boxes of, of racial and gender, gender distribution. And, um, there's not a lot of evidence that, that merit is at the top of the list. Um, not to say that these people aren't pretty good at what they do, but it really looks like he's box checking to me. And, uh, but they're, they're, they're doing so many things almost frantically. As though if they don't do them now, they'll never do it. And so, so they're, they're, the voting laws are pushing through uh, ridiculous. Anyone who thinks you should be able to vote without an ID is out of their mind. I, I just can't fathom how that's a remotely rational concept. And if you're just not qualified to find a way to get an ID, I don't want you voting. Right. It's that simple. But But I sure as hell don't want people voting who just walk up and say, well, I'm a citizen and my name's John Smith. And I certainly don't want blanketing the countryside with empty ballots that can be scooped up and stuffed in boxes, like I think already happened. And um, and so so I, the turning DC into the next state, stuffing the Supreme Court, everything smacks of of destroy your opponent as though this was a religious war. This feels like the Crusades to me. So it's, it's not unifying at all. I I can't forgive them if that's the path they stay on. I, I will not forgive them if they do that because that's not what they had to do.
0: So, do you think uh, you know what's going on with the Biden Harris administration now that some people are talking about you know second American Civil War and you know now we're hearing these talk this talk of the fall of the U.S. empire. So, you know, how do you how do you see where, where do we go from here? Are those again these ap- 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 apocalyptic scenarios that you're kind of dismissing, or or how do you see us? ending
1: going forward well you know the problem is the civil war model which i've actually used um there's no mason dixon line there's no single issue that divides us and so the civil war you know there's people from both teams in every state and so i i don't i don't see how a civil war plays out even if we have one but i can imagine and a ramping up of the violence. We've certainly seen plenty of evidence of that. So I I can imagine a lot of conflict. And to the extent that it starts looking like Rwanda or something, that would be a civil war. So that's a little scary. Um, Probably not. That's not a high probability bet. But it's, it's, uh, again, back to the divorcing couple. Um, Two people who at one point got along pretty well are now at each other's throats pretty seriously. So
0: Given everything that we've kind of covered, you know, what would be some uh, advice for us, for young people today, even for old, you know, key principles, tips uh, f- f- to, to give us, you know, in terms of preparing for, you know, any difficult economic or political times ahead?
1: Um, actually, I give advice to I, I, I get asked about advice for youngsters Um. at several levels. One is about investing. I said, look no matter what you do investing wise, just get in the habit of saving. So I, I don't even, I, I tell them, I said, look, I, I would probably just advise you to do a 60, 40 portfolio. You're going to lose some of it at some point, in my opinion, but, but just get, get started. Don't lose your, don't lose your nerve. And if, if bonds get clobbered and stocks hold up, buy more bonds, you know, if stocks get clobbered, and bonds hold up, buy more stocks, you know, uh, keep balancing it up, not through, selling and buying, but through allocation. So if your bonds are light, allocate the bonds. Um, when they ask me about some of the things that, that whip me into a frenzy, I tell them that it, if at their age, they're supposed to be trying to figure out how to build a career, start a family, change the world. Um, I don't know how you do that if you if you think the system is broken. So on some level, I urge them to to ignore all this and to just be optimistic and and try to change the world independent of what my generation is doing to make it a mess. So I, these kids on college campuses who were burning their brain cells protesting every grievance that they can fathom while this is going on they're not getting an education and and so I think it's I think it's getting in their way. My wife was at Cornell during the uh, <clears throat> during the turbulent late '60s and uh, early '70s, and and um, she kind of squandered her education doing that, in my opinion. So uh, my advice is: ignore the adults. Don't worry about who's president. Don't worry about whether Biden and Harris are idiots or smart. Just just get a good education. Uh, don't don't study subjects that are of no value. Don't think just because you graduated from. Cornell or someplace like that, just having that degree guarantees you a good job. It doesn't. You got to have marketable skills. So make sure you study stuff that's marketable.
0: Uh, A little bit of Jordan Peterson, make your bed, clean your room, you know, get get that. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's why he's so popular because it's, you know, life lessons.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, you're on Twitter uh, for now, uh, and your interviews can be found all all over the place if people just search your name. Uh, any other website project we should know about?
1: Uh, no, no. David B. Column on Twitter. And uh, and uh, if you want to read some of the stuff I've written, you just search David Column year in review. And I, I have the most poorly marketed blog in history where I write once a year. That's not exactly the way to market a blog. But I, I at the end of every year I write a pay, a summary of what I saw happening and whatever sort of crawled up my ass and bugged me and and uh, it ends up being between I'd say 180 200 pages so I write a, a better part of a book at the end of every year and uh, and it, it's to capture the events of the year as well as as well as bring to fruition ideas that I've been working on sometimes for quite a while mm-hmm. and so it's a it's a it's a compendium of blogs um, in, brought into a coherent story. It's exceedingly irreverent. its uh, I think I'm a pretty good writer at this point. its uh, I, I think it's funny. It gets read by, I think, hundreds of thousands. I, I think it's popular. Larry Summers read it. How's that? There's a good one. Check one off for Secretary of Treasury. Uh, I had some guys read it as do, you know, soccer moms. So I've I've run into people all over the globe. I ran into a currency trader in Singapore. Who said, "Oh, you wrote that? My fidelity advisor didn't notice." He, he said, "Wait a minute, you wrote that?" <laughs> oh yeah, that was me. You want some advice?
0: <laughs> all right. Well,
1: so, that's it.
0: All right. People should definitely follow you uh, on Twitter, Dave Collum. Uh, I love your. Uh, commentary. Uh, it's, it's, it's very colorful uh, on Twitter. And look for the interviews that, that he gives uh, every week to popular podcast channels. And thanks for being on Geopolitics Empire. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account, Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been The leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, Bitshoot, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on Miwi Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.